Welcome to the Central Work Script Club. I'm Patricia Milton, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Chelsea Bierce, a featured actor in world premiere number 67 at Central Works. The play is a madcap mystery, Escape from the Asylum, written by me and directed by Gary Graves. We're so excited and delighted to be back on stage after two years. It's been a wild ride back to production, and we hope to see you for this exciting mystery at the Berkeley City Club. Now to my special guest. Chelsea Bierce is an accomplished and award-winning actor and comedian. She also bakes amazing cakes. I'll leave the links in our show notes. Welcome, Chelsea. Hi, my friend. (laughs) Well, I think the (laughs) listeners should understand that this is a mutual fan club here, so there's going to be a lot of (laughs) ego stroking and things like that going on and mutual compliments. What we're going to talk about today is Escape from the Asylum, which is a play in which Chelsea plays one of the... Victorian Ladies Detective Collective Detectives named Katie Smalls. And the first thing I want to say is this is the first time that Central Works has had a show on stage in two years. (laughs) I know. Actually, every time the show starts and uh, Gary Graves, our director, goes into the room to welcome everybody, you can Mm -hmm. just hear the pride in his voice you know like Mm -hmm. welcome back theater goers like he's just so (laughs) excited to be there it just gives me life every single time I hear it (laughs) it's really true and the audience too is like yay we're premiere number 67 wow (laughs) it's really a big deal it really is it's very exciting right so it's such a joy to be experiencing you on stage since you are absolutely fabulous and so maybe you can tell me a little bit about what it's like being back in live theater and since you're a comedian of course you have been on stage so yeah so tell me about that yeah I have been comedy came back before theater did it's really easy when you're just accommodating one person on stage and the audience can be 10 feet away from you you know like that's okay but there's something really really intimate that I was missing from being a character and and portraying a different person and telling somebody else's story. I didn't really realize how much I was missing of that. I don't really get too nervous right before getting on stage, uh-huh. but our opening night, the butterflies were abundant. <laughs> Gary was saying his his welcome and I was backstage, you know, with the other actors and I was like, oh, this is real right now. This is legit. And but it was a very, very exciting feeling because I haven't felt that in a really long time. There's something just so magical about live theater, just telling a story, having the audience along with you going on the ride. It's just absolutely incredible to be back in that space again. I have to agree with you, and particularly the space at the Berkeley City Club. The Central Works folks have really upgraded the theater's 
safety, the ventilation, yeah. there's air cleaners, there's fans. Sometimes the windows are open if the weather permits. Yeah. We've really upgraded it, but the intimacy of it yeah. and the fact that people are only a foot away from you. And right. in this play in particular, Chelsea, since there are a couple of actual fight scenes, right. <laughs> it gets kind of exciting in there. Yeah, it's true. And some of my friends, some of my peers that have come to see it have never seen theater like that, that's so intimate and so close. Mm -hmm. And it's an experience like they've never had. You think of theater and you think Broadway, you think off Broadway, you think huge ceilings and in these storied, you know, um, seating and, and you think of that. And you never really think of these tiny, small, intimate, where I think you get so much more out of it. My dress, my skirt, usually brushes up against... (laughs) you know, somebody's lap or something. And they're right there with with us fighting with each other. And there's something so, so magical about theater anyway. But then you throw in this intimate quality. And it's, it's really, really spectacular. I agree. And it's great to be where the reaction is immediate. So for example, if you're at Berkeley Rep or something, it takes like a second for what's going on on stage to reach the audience. It's kind of a funny beat in between what happens on stage and what happens as it lands with the audience. But in the Berkeley City Club space, it's immediate. And that's really great, especially for comedy, I think. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. um, The other thing I want to piggyback on what you just said is that because the space is so small and you're so close to the actors, every nuance that we make with our facial expressions, with our our movements, with our gestures, every tiny thing. It's almost like film acting because they're so Mm -hmm. close to us. And so I love that because just these tiny little subtle things can help really just amp that comedy all the way up. It's great. Really true. So I want to talk a little bit about the theme of the play, Escape from the Asylum, and talk about why I was drawn to the topic and then see how it might resonate with you. Absolutely. So I started writing this a couple of years ago. It is a sequel to the first play that I wrote with these same characters, the Victorian Ladies Detective Collective. And thematically, in that play, one of the characters had almost been put away in an asylum. And this was something I was really interested in in the Victorian era, the idea of the mad woman in the attic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the uh, Bertha Mason in Jane Eyre. Right. And the idea that <laughs> women are, to use a objectionable term, crazy, is something that we know from in ancient Greece, Hippocrates said that the wom- women's wombs moved around their bodies and Mm -hmm. created insanity. And to me, it's just been really interesting that the idea of the woman being crazy because of their hormones, women being crazy because of their biology is just a long running trope that goes through history. Right. And it's kind of still today. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's used to smear women all the time. Like if a woman says, well, you know, this X, Y, Z happened to me, then it's like, well, you know, don't believe her because she's crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So anyway, I was very, very interested in that, and I did a ton of research on what was believed about women and madness at the time the play takes place, which is 1895. Mm-hmm. And one of this idea of the of the wandering uterus was prevalent at that time, as it was in ancient Greece. And in fact, that's what smelling salts. Smelling salts were used to give a foul odor, and the woman would inhale that, and then the womb would be sent back to its location. (laughs) So, first of all, what the heck? So, anyway, why the heck did I write it as a comment? (laughs) Well, because you needed to, so that people wouldn't leave and just start sweating their wrists. Like, <laughs> so, I do, I have to say that I could write probably 50 plays that were dead serious about the horrors that women lived through. 80% right. of, of people who received lobotomies were women, mm-hmm. you know, again, because it was a procedure that made people obedient. But I felt like, why don't I do a play about a woman who is not mentally ill, who is locked in an asylum by her husband, which happened to all the time. Right. And the women are going to try and bust her out. And I thought that would be uplifting because I think anybody can relate to that. Uh-huh. Being trapped somewhere and wanting to get out and using your ingenuity to get out and people helping you get out. I mean, I felt it was actually a very positive way of approaching it. And as we struggle with the pandemic, I wanted to write something that had some hope and some laughter in it, because we've all been kind of through the ringer. And I don't mean to laugh at all about that, because it has been difficult. But it was lovely for me to write during the pandemic and write these lovely characters. Oh, absolutely. Who I just think are so much fun. So yeah. your turn. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'm, first of all, I've never been in a sequel on stage before usually you'd play a character and then when the show closes so does that character to you you know you know like how often do you get to play the same character in a different show so that part is very very intriguing to me I absolutely love that I absolutely love the way that you tell a story this is my third play of yours that I've done but I also did a radio show that you wrote as well so yes you know that's four different scripts that I've read of yours and every time you tell a story you can tell how much research you do (laughs) I can't even begin to imagine how you begin doing this research how you collect all this information after my mom saw the show she went and started an audiobook about Cary Grant whose mother was institutionalized for two decades. And then when she got out, it was proven that she never should have gone in an asylum anyway. So it was just like this. And she was like, I'm fascinated by this. Like, how does Patricia do this? I'm like, I don't know. But it's, it's what, what, what I love about it is you have this way of tackling these very taboo, strong, political, almost uncomfortable topics but then you throw enough humor in there where it's digestible. It's mm-hmm. it's okay to talk about how would these people really react to it. And if you don't have, thank God I'm a comedian, if you don't have 
comedy to lighten some of this stuff, it would it would be overwhelming for the majority, I believe. Yeah, I know you and I probably have the same kind of comic point of view mm-hmm. in many ways about life. So we would be tending to laugh at stuff, laugh instead of cry. I do try to not be mean. I don't like mean humor, mm-hmm. but I try to show the absurdity. Yeah, because that. Certain, yes, exactly, how absurd it is. And I have heard the audience members were saying that they're laughing, but then at the intermission they're talking about Britney Spears and, you know, yeah. a number of teenagers now. They get bundled off to some type of camp to right. be changed because they're not obedient. So, and I have been helped by the psychiatric profession myself, but if you read about Freud, Freud would diagnose people without ever having met them. (laughs) Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yes. In fact, he had a patient named Dora, and he diagnosed Dora's mother with a thing called housewife psychosis. Which I don't know what that oh, is, but it's my great. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he would do that. He would just hear what the symptoms were and diagnose the person without seeing them. Wow. And the other thing that he is notable for is that he had a number of young women patients who reported to him that they were being sexually abused. And he told them that it wasn't true, that that was a fantasy of theirs. Hmm. And I think when we look back on that now, we realize that that was absolutely what was happening to them. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't believe it. I would say because of misogyny, but that's me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the fact of it being a sequel And I do want our listeners to know that if you did not see the Victorian Ladies Detective Collective, that's okay. You can (laughs) still understand what's going on in the play, and you don't have to know these characters coming in. Right. The backstory is revealed, and you'll be fine. That's but, true. There's there's enough given. I had a bunch of people ask me that. You know, I didn't see the the first one. Can I still come? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> there's so much that is very strategically placed so that you can piece together what we covered in the first one. You just we give you exactly what you need so that you can follow along. Yeah. Well, it's the same with the mystery. It actually was a double challenge for me because when you're writing a mystery, you have a bunch of things that you have to be juggling. You have to be mm-hmm. thinking of the clues that mm-hmm. you're going to give. How often are you going to give them? Right. You have to think of, does this make sense logically? Let's mm-hmm. throw in a red herring or two and right. so on. Yeah. And then when you're writing a sequel, you have to think of, well, What will the people who didn't see the first one need to know in order to understand these characters? Exactly. So as as far as I know, I've talked to several people who did not see the original, and it is easy to follow along. Mm -hmm. But I will say it was such a joy for me to come back to these characters 
and try to move them along in their path yeah. and think about where would they have moved to from the end of the last play. So yeah, yeah. in the last play, they're forced in self-defense to kill a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And so the women together kill this uh, Constable Crane, who is the serial killer of women. And so I did think a lot about how that would affect somebody, how you would be somewhat traumatized from A, like almost getting killed, and then B, having to kill somebody to rescue yourself. So I tried to write about that and write about them trying to come to terms with that and then move them along in a lot of their, their careers. You know, so for Katie, Katie's an actress who is also a detective. Mm -hmm. And I looked into some of the black and biracial American women who came to London and were musical entertainers and actors at the time. And it's really, really fascinating. Unfortunately, because of the way things um, have been and in many cases continue to be, their range of their roles was very limited. Right. So they they couldn't play the heroine or there were many roles they could not play. They played of the course. maid yeah. or the slave or something like that. Right. But they were very, very popular. They drew crowds to the theater and so on. So it was really interesting to me thinking about Katie from the point of view of the women who were working in the theater at that time. Oh, Absolutely kind of explaining what the show is, you know, to people who are like, oh, what's the show about? And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's set in this time and it's in England and, you know, everyone has British accents and I have a a Southern accent. They're like, what? And I'm like, well, I'm an American. And then it just gets into this wormhole of just like, how did you end up there? And how did you? And I'm like, just, just come see it. Like, just stop. Like, you know, so I love that it, it doesn't make sense you know, if you just give like people these little snippets, but when you watch it, it's like, oh, it all comes together. And, and I've never, I've never seen that. Like, I've always wanted to know, yeah, like when you're writing a sequel, how do you make these characters evolve? How do they get stronger? How do they become better? What's their path that we didn't see in the text? Mm -hmm. Writing a play anyway, I feel like is such an amazing feat. But then doing this, which is one step further, I I don't know how you do it, but it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> well, it's I have to say, I just wish every playwright would have such a fantastic cast oh. as this show. And yeah. from you to Danielle O'Hare, who plays Love Day, yeah. to Jan Feifler, who plays Valeria, and of course, Alan Coyne as hashtag all, all the men. <laughs> And he plays five different characters. He plays in this five play. characters. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. I have a friend who has a um a thirteen year old daughter who is very into theater and, you know, loves character development and stuff like like puts on costumes and creates characters. And I said, you know, you might want to bring her to this. <laughs> <laughs> There is an actor in there who just kills it, you know. Just, I know. I'm, I'm so impressed with him every time I watch him on stage. He's so great. I heard somebody, I'm not remembering who it was, but an audience member say, 
you just want to hang out with these women. You just want to <laughs> hang out with them. And that's something that it's funny that you say that because that was something I thought about last week. That was our opening weekend. And I really grasped how comfortable the women had become with each other. Yeah. You know, because in the first one, we were still getting to know each other on a deeper level. And now there's been some time. We've spent a lot of time together. Loveday and Valeria are biological sisters, but there seems to be this sisterhood amongst the three of them that is just undeniable. Yeah. And that really comes across on stage, I think. Oh, well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also wanted to say, Chelsea, from my point of view, obviously it's always such a pleasure to work with you, but I am just so pleased that I could write a play where the country of the United States is represented by a biracial woman, <laughs> right? And yeah. then also that the American is the one who's an immigrant, Right. You know what I mean? It, like, yeah. it's, it kind of turns things on its head because usually when you you see a movie or play or something and they're representing the American, some white guy. <laughs> it's, no, that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. And then you also mention in the play, you know, there's mention of women being bossy, women being talkative, women being outspoken. And I'm like, mm, yeah, <laughs> uh huh. You know, and so, and it's, it's the reason why it resonates so much to me because actually in my character description, you know, small one in the beginning of the play, it says badass American. You you actually put that in, in the text, you know. And <laughs> yes, I it's did. It's something that I always am drawn to because personally, as Chelsea Bierce, the comedian, the actress, the mother, the business owner, as you know, everything that I do, I've been told my entire life that I'm too much by a lot of people who, who can't grasp all of me and in this play there's there's a piece of that where one of Alan's characters sees me as a curiosity and I'm a troublemaker and that resonates with me as the actress playing this character so much because there have been people in my life like that who see yeah. me like that there's a lot of these underlying topics that are kind of hidden but they do resonate to to people 100%. Words have so much power in them. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's very interesting. One of the books that I read as part of my research is called Too Much. And she writes about how, how women in history who have been too much, right? They were like witches. And so they burned them at the stake and they were uh, crazy. And so they locked them up. Right. You know, that that if you don't fall into the certain stereotype of the submissive woman, then you're problematic. Oh, my gosh. Um, I need and this book. I need it. <laughs> I just thought it was so true. And it rang so true to me. The woman needs to be locked away if she steps out of her role right. as a quiet domestic mouse. Yeah, And the many times during the play when I think the way these women are acting, if there was somebody there with the power, they would get put away. Mm -hmm. They would. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's you, just the danger is always there. Yeah, yeah. And that's something we had to keep in the back of our minds because that's something that we needed the audience to always kind of have on the back burner while watching this. Like, yes, you're watching women not in corsets, having pockets, you know, thinking for themselves, <laughs> you know, solving these, these, these mysteries, 
but it's not always that easy for them. The society won't accept this. We That's need them right. to, re to remember that. So it's really important. So I wanted to ask a little bit about the workshop process. I wrote this play in the Central Works Writers Workshop, and at the end of the workshop, that was like a 12-week workshop, and then you guys, the cast, basically the cast, mm -hmm. came in and read it. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we had four separate sessions where we read the play, discussed it, and then I would go home and rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, as yeah. an actor participating? Yeah, that would be great. I absolutely love this. And working with Central Works, my very first show was Bamboozled, which was written by mm -hmm, you. Mm -hmm. And I think that was 2018. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I had ever experienced a script session with mm -hmm. the director, with the entire cast, and with the playwright. And then the fact that we would discuss this and that our feedback was taken into account of the rewrite of the actual show, I had never experienced that before. Usually when you're in a show, you get handed the script, it's done, go, memorize, we're moving on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to be a part of this, it really gives us a sense of ownership, I guess, for lack of a better term. We feel like we're a part of this development process, and we see where these characters are going. We start thinking as the character way before we even enter the theater space. Mm -hmm. Like, is this what my character would do? And I'm not sure if this is the right response for this person. We really start delving way deeper into the psyche of these people than I, I feel like a lot of theaters do for their actors. And I really feel like it helps develop these characters so much deeper than you ever would in a normal situation. Well, the thing I like is that each actor can see the whole play, but they also become the curator of their own character. Mm -hmm. So if there's something in there that really doesn't feel right, mm -hmm. you can tell me and I can figure out what to do about that. Right. And I know you had some comments that ended up being integrated into the script and you would always say oh I hate to say this but I don't understand this part you were so nice about it and I was like that is fine bring it because it's all in the service of making the play better which is so, so funny but it's just like because it does kind of go, I'm so boisterous and loud and in your face, but but I also hold you in such high regards when it comes to playwriting. So I'm like, who the hell am I, Patricia? I can't say this to you. And there would be times where, yeah, we would have a feedback session and then I would text Patricia afterwards, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I hope we're okay. Don't hate my guts. You know? <laughs> But you really did. I mean, you really helped. And actually, Greg Sharpen, who is the sound designer for the show, and he's helping us here with this podcast today, um, <laughs> also had some really, really helpful feedback. I find his dramaturgy skills to, to be very high quality. So mm -hmm. I did want to yeah. say that. Yeah. So I wondered also today, Chelsea, if you have anything that you might want to ask me about the script. <laughs> yes. When does part three come out and <laughs> can I be in it? <laughs> well, it's so funny.
funny, we did have a review where the reviewer said that he had asked for a sequel. And then, of course, I wrote it because of him. <laughs> but I would actually, I think this would be such a good Netflix yeah. six-part series with yeah. six different mysteries. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah, um, I think that would I be so huge. It would be It incredible. would be great, but I don't think they would let me have one actor play all the men. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> to have one actor portray all the men is just really, really I know. Delicious. It's such a great process. It's such a great... Just, I love that. I think it's so great. It's great. It's great fun for the actor who's doing mm-hmm. it because you know Alan is just glowing on that stage. He loves creating all these, and he gets to play every single time, you know. And yeah, yeah. Have these characters just grow and develop every time he's on stage. He's having a blast, and then it's really fun for us too because then you can also you're playing along with with the text of it. Danielle has that fun line of you look uncannily familiar and it always gets a laugh <laughs> and it's so brilliant, you know, so you get to have some fun with that. There's, there's a beauty there too. It's really great to write a play and then see it go live. Yeah. And what you thought maybe was for me, like, Oh, my favorite line in the show, it changes <laughs> over the course of the run because the actors find these fantastic ways to say, every line and so i'm like oh this time this is my favorite line and that says something that it says something so huge about you as a playwright i've never been not only like i said earlier about being in central works and and being a part of the script development process this is that's that was brand new to me and now i love that process so much Mm -hmm. because i've done it a few times but You specifically, I love, not only are you at every single one of those script writing sessions, obviously, but then you're at every single rehearsal. And that's very rare to me to have a playwright watch it develop in real time. Not to mention how many shows you come to, you and your husband come to. I love the (laughs) fact that you guys are there and you get to really witness this thing from thought to actual stage and just watch it come to fruition is really, really, it must be so magical for you. Oh, I love it. And I am, I still rewrite. I don't ask you guys to learn new lines or anything, but I Mm -hmm. do make little tweaks. It was pretty late in the process when, again, Greg Sharpin came up with something. (laughs) Yeah. There's a question here. I was like, oh, no. But yeah, I was able to write a line, bring it in the next day. Yeah. Uh, and I and, thought it was an improvement. And it was we, were, very we were very funny. We were in tech at that point. Yeah, I we, know. We I were know. in tech at that, but it was a uh, very, very poignant point that he made. It was really good. Yeah. You know. So, and now do those rewrites, yes, you're watching it from a different viewpoint than the audience members, obviously. But do those rewrites come from a combination of, you watching it so much and maybe little nuances that the actors give to the characters or where do those rewrites come from? I really do pay attention to what the actors are doing. If there's ever something that doesn't seem, it's like, why is that happening? Then if I'm doing it, then I know everybody else is. So I make a little adjustment. I've got to say, Chelsea, if there's a line and people do not laugh at it, 
ever during the run. That line is not a good line and needs to go. <laughs> oh, dear. I know that you and I both have this, like, comic point of view, but... yeah. One thing that I have is like a really weird sense of humor. And sometimes something that I think is absolutely hilarious, yeah, everyone yeah. else will just look at and go, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say this has been absolutely delightful. And I want our listeners to know that Chelsea is not only an accomplished comedian, a fantastic actress, but she has a wonderful business Baking cakes. I do bake cakes. Yeah, that's you guys right. Can, and you guys can follow me uh, on Instagram, Chelsea Got Cakes, and the words are separated by periods. So Chelsea.got.cakes, and you can see all my creations on there. I have to post the one that I made for our opening night. Yes, have, that was amazing. <laughs> Being able to visit Chelsea and. Well, I think we ate two or three of your cakes during <laughs> lockdown. It yes, was like the yeah. high point of lockdown, let me tell you. That's true. <laughs> I'd be locked I, yeah. in my house with a cake made by Chelsea. Was right, like, right. This is no punishment at all. Oh, no. And it was always a, a little bit of a, a challenge to see just how much chocolate I could get into one dessert. <laughs> At a time, a lot. yeah. The a lot of is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would try to outdo myself every time, yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, listeners, if you have not seen Escape from the Asylum, it is playing at the Berkeley City Club until April 17th, and we would love to see you there. Come join the fun, and yes. let's all escape from the asylum. <laughs> Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Central Work Script Club. We hope you'll join us at the Berkeley City Club for Central Work's production of Escape from the Asylum by Patricia Milton, directed by Gary Graves, with Chelsea Bierce, Alan Coyne, Danielle O'Hare, and Jan Spifler. Till next time. Bye.